Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Wisdom Awakening. I'm your host, Bishop E.W. Jackson. Great to be with you again today. Hope you are well into the new year now, just kind of gearing up. Remember 2022, the year of breakthrough. I want to give you a couple of announcements. Uh, I'm going to be hitting these pretty hard because we've got this big event coming up on uh, January the 17th, Monday, the Martin Luther King holiday. It's at 10 a.m. at the Chesapeake Marriott. This is the book from 2019. I don't know whether you can see that, but um, uh, I'll, I'll do my best. But <laughs> that's the booklet that we produced, the program book. Uh, this is the 22nd year. We did it last year. We can only do the ceremony. We couldn't have people at the breakfast, obviously, uh, at the height of COVID. But we did the ceremony anyway. And this year, we're going to have the breakfast. It's going to be at 10 a.m. at the Chesapeake Marriott, 725 Woodlake Drive. You can go to our website, thecalled.org. That's T-H-E-C-A-L-L-E-D.org. And just click on the Martin Luther King breakfast that you'll see there. And you can buy tickets. You can donate. Uh, you can buy a table. You can get a vendor table. If you are a merchant, if you have wares and goods that you want to sell, that you have a product or service that you want to sell, you can buy a vendor table and talk to all of our guests. On average, we have had somewhere between 300 and 400 guests uh, on the, the morning of the breakfast the room. Holes, I think, uh, maxes out at about 450. Um, and we usually have three or 400 guests, usually 350 in that range. So there are lots of people to talk to, lots of people to, to do well. And we have vendors usually who come back year after year, which means they do well enough. They make contacts. They sell not, sell, not only sell their wares, but, of course, they make contacts for future sales and future services that they can provide to people. Uh, so if you want to do that, you can sign up at the website for that, too. You can buy tickets. Tickets are $30. Um, of course, in light of all of the uh, Omicron hysteria, um, you know, some people may feel reluctant. But look, we're going to take every safety precaution. The hotel is clean. Uh, they're going to make sure the place is, is completely sanitized and all of that. And people can feel free to come, wear masks if that's what they want to do. Um, but, but we're going forward with it. Folks, we've got to continue our lives. We simply cannot shut down life over this thing. We've got to, we've got to go forward. And that's exactly what we're going to do. No more, no more cancellations, no more lockdowns, none of that. So I hope you can be there. It's going to be a wonderful event. And again, in, it is in contrast to the Black Lives Matter 1619 Project critical race theory garbage that we've been hearing for the last two years. This breakfast has been going on for 22 years, bringing us together rather than tearing us apart. So that's going to be, here's the flyer, that's going to be at the Chesapeake Marriott, 725 Woodlake Drive. That's Mayor West of Chesapeake. He is our, uh, our always our, the mayor of the city is always our honorary co-chair. And so come on by and we're honoring police, firefighters, business people, educators, um, sheriff's department, uh, we, 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 we cover the gamut, and it is not about the color of one's skin, it is about the content of people's character. The theme this year is leadership through crisis, and we're going to talk about all those people who have been steadfast, unmovable, and just continuing to do their jobs in the face of very, very grave difficulties with all the COVID nonsense, not to mention the other instabilities that have been tearing away at our society over the last couple of years. So believe me, this will be an oasis 
in a sea of senselessness. This will be an oasis of, of logic and goodwill and unity and celebration in the midst of a whole lot of illogical nonsense that's been pushed on us over the last couple of years. So, so I, I'm sure you'll want to come or you want to support it. Uh, and remember, the proceeds go to support the William Jackson Youth Center, the Maximum Potential Christian Academy for ages preschool through sixth grade, and uh, to scholarships for the young people who we'll be honoring at the breakfast. So it goes for a good cause to help support our youth. Um, so the other thing I want to mention is that on this coming Friday, start, actually starts Thursday night, I will be with Andrew Womack at the Gospel Truth Phoenix Conference uh, with Andrew Womack. You know, he and I will be speaking. I will be speaking three times speaking Friday morning, Friday afternoon, and Saturday morning, and he is speaking Thursday night, Friday morning, Friday afternoon, and Saturday morning. So he's speaking, I think, four times. I'm speaking three times, but it's going to be a full-blown gospel truth conference. You don't want to miss it. This is going to be a great event. It's going to be in Phoenix. Let me see if I can get you the, um, the information on this real quick. Yes, it's going to be at the... Um, uh, well, it's the Phoenix Gospel Truth Conference. It's going to be at the Renaissance Phoenix Glendale Hotel and Spa at 9495 West Coyote Boulevard in Glendale, Arizona. So don't miss that. If you're in the area, uh, come on out. And even if you're not, fly on in. Same thing is true for the Martin Luther King Breakfast. If you're in the area, come on out and support it. But even if you're not, fly on in and support it. <laughs> I'd love to see you there. Uh, so it's going to be a great, great event, January 17th. And then, of course, coming up this week, the uh, Phoenix Gospel Truth Conference with Andrew Womack and me as his, his guest speaker. All right, folks. Well, with that, let me just say, um, I said when the, this whole COVID thing broke, uh, I said many, many times, I hope you've heard me say it, but if you haven't, you're going to hear me say it now. Once bureaucrats and certain totalitarian or authoritarian-minded politicians experience the kind of power that they can exercise under the guise of protecting people from COVID. They never want to let it go because this is what they want anyway. They never want to let it go. And now that we are really on the downside of this thing, this Omicron variant is, is mild there are lots of cases because it's very contagious, but there are no increases in deaths, no increases in hospitalizations. Hospitals are not overrun. The biggest problem we've got is testing because they've tried to scare the daylights out of everybody and make them feel that they better go get tested and all of that. We were told, I just looked at some film last night, videos last night. It's out there. Go on YouTube. You can find it. We were told, absolutely, you get the vaccine. You will not get the virus, and you will not spread the virus. That was a lie. Because people who get the so-called vaccine, the shot, the jab, they are getting COVID, and they are spreading COVID. The Secretary of Defense has it right now, and he was full, triple jabbed. I mean, he's jabbed with the first dose, jabbed with the second dose, jabbed with the booster, and he's now got COVID.
my wife and I got COVID in November of 2020. And we have not been affected since. We have natural immunity and that natural immunity has stood us in good stead. In fact, we were recently exposed to COVID significantly by someone who we know had it. We didn't know at the time, we know now, but we know also that when we were around them, they had COVID. My wife and I have been tested. <laughs> Excuse me, that's just a sneeze. <laughs> and we do not have it. We do not have it. And we have not had the jab because we have natural immunity. I am banking on two things, faith in God and his healing and protecting power and natural immunity, which the body does far more effectively and efficiently than this jab does. And for people who say, I've heard them say, you know, but if you get the jab, it's going to enhance your natural immunity. Folks, I'm, I'll tell you, be very honest. I hear about too many people who've had these vaccines getting this thing. It, it, and I've heard one scientist suggest that getting the vaccine may in fact make you more vulnerable to getting this particular variant. Dr. Harvey Rich suggested that very thing. He said the variants, the vaccine do not protect you against the variants that can arise. And he said that the vaccines are in fact producing the variants because of the nature of these so-called vaccines. They're not vaccines in the classic sense. There's something different. This message ribonucleic acid that creates spike proteins in your cells is different than the standard uh, vaccines that we produced in the past, which have a dead portion of a virus in it to trigger your immune system, trick your immune system into believing that the disease has attacked your body so that your immune system arises and you get in effect natural immunity triggered by the vaccine. That's not what's happening here. Now, YouTube has already suspended me for another three months for medical misinformation, but what I just told you is the absolute truth. Because I've been told it by molecular biologists and, and medical researchers and epidemiologists and doctors, this is not like those vaccines. It operates on a different basis, which is why they're saying that within three to six months, the thing wanes anyway. And then you need a booster. So just by the evidence of what the, the way they're conducting themselves, the way this thing is being managed, you know it's not a typical vaccine because with typical vaccines, you are, when the vaccines we took as children produced lifetime immunity. Well, I'm trusting in God more than, than even in natural immunity, but I'm also trusting in natural immunity because God designed it. And God didn't design these vaccines. Human beings did and lied to us about it, frankly. Oh, if you have the vaccine, you won't get the disease and you won't spread the disease. Now we know you can have the vaccine, get, have the vaccine and the booster, get the disease and spread the disease. So please. Oh, but it's much milder now. But you know what? How do we know that? I mean, think about this. When somebody says, I've had the vaccine and I've been boosted and I got COVID. 
but it was a much milder case than I would have gotten had I not had the vaccine. How do you know that? I mean, they don't know that. My wife and I had it again back in November 2020. We didn't, we weren't vaccinated because the vaccines, I don't think were even out. And we had mild cases. So when somebody says, but it's a much milder case, how do we know that? How do we really know that? That it that they would not have had a mild case even without the shot, without the jab. We don't. That's just an assertion. And people just kind of accept it willy-nilly. But it's illogical because you can't tell me what would have happened had you not had the vaccine because you don't know. And there's no way of knowing. What we do know is getting the vaccine does not stop you from getting the getting COVID and does not stop you from spreading COVID. We do know that. That we know. And that's not what we were told. So I wanted to share with you this morning something that I've shared from time to time, but I may not have shared it with you. George Washington, in his first inaugural address, of course, was working on his address because he wrote his own address. I think he did run it by Madison and and Hamilton for their input, but it was his address. He wrote some notes about things he would say that he later discarded and decided not to include those in the inaugural address, but the notes were preserved and we have them as a historical record. And the notes show that this is what was on his mind. He, he decided not to include it in his address, but this is what was on his mind when he was preparing what to say to the American people as the first president of the United States. And I want to share this excerpt with you because I really believe that this is where we are right now. And then I'll comment briefly on this and then we'll go to the word. He says, quote, And this is what the address he would have given in April of 1789. Uh, These are the words he wrote, but never used in the address. Quote, I pretend no unusual foresight into the future and therefore cannot undertake to decide with certainty what may be America's ultimate fate. If a promised good should terminate in an unexpected evil, if the blessings of heaven showered thick around us should be spilled on the ground or converted to curses, through the fault of those for whom they were intended, it would not be the first instance of folly or perverseness in short-sighted mortals. The blessed religion revealed in the word of God will remain an eternal and awful monument to prove that the best institutions may be abused by human depravity and that they may even in some instances be made subservient to the vilest of purposes. Should hereafter those entrusted with the management of this government, incited by the lust of power, overleap the known barriers of this constitution and violate the unalienable rights of humanity, it will only serve to show that no compact among men however provident in its construction and sacred in its ratification, can be pronounced everlasting and inviolable against the sweeping torrent of boundless ambition aided by the sapping torrent 
of corrupted morals. Now, folks, he could have written this yesterday. And I've, been, I've shared this over the years, and every time I say, every time I share it, I say, it could have been written yesterday. Look at this. Those entrusted with the management of this government, incited by the lust of power, overleap the known barriers of this Constitution and violate the unalienable rights of humanity. And that's exactly what's going on right now. It's going on with COVID particularly. The lust for power, the lust for control, the lust to dictate to people. They're overleaping the known barriers of the Constitution. We are a free people. America is a free nation. The government does not get to dictate to its citizens. It's the other way around. The citizens dictate to the government. And the government is accountable to the citizens. Now, of course, we're all accountable to criminal law, laws and statutes and to civil laws and statutes passed by the people that we choose to represent us to serve us in government. But the government does not have the right to stand up and just willy-nilly say, oh, well, we're going to give you all some orders and you're going to do this because it's an emergency. And we have to do this, folks. That's the formula for complete tyranny. Well, we couldn't pay any attention to the Constitution because we were this was a crisis situation and we had to violate the rights of people. Yeah. Famous last words of every brutal dictator. So George Washington has warned us. He said it shows that no compact among men, which our constitution is, a, is our compact, our covenant, can be pronounced everlasting and inviolable against the sweeping torrent of boundless ambition. And that's what we've got. People who just have no limit to their thirst for power. That's what they want, power. And power means to control you, to control me, to control everybody. You've got this, this Omicron variant is clearly mild. And you've got people now, we got, we got 2,200 schools, 2,200 school systems across America closed down again. Yeah, 2,200 schools, 2,200 school systems closed. Because the teachers union doesn't care about the needs of the children. They care about their own comfort and convenience. And I'm convinced that they've gotten accustomed to the fact that without leaving their house, they can collect their paycheck and do a minimal amount of work. I'm talking about the teachers unions now, not every good and decent teacher out there because there are many good and decent teachers out there. But the teachers unions has decided, has decided that they can, they can collect the paycheck do virtually nothing to get it and relax at home. And they want to keep that, that con going. And so what if the children don't get well-educated? Big deal. Who cares? We'll probably all be serving China anyway. At least maybe that's their attitude. China's going to take over anyway. So what's the difference? They'll educate our people. I don't know. But here again, boundless ambition and the sapping torrent of corrupted morals. No integrity, no honor. You know, as far as I'm concerned, we need to do away with unionization of schools. 
we need to do away with it. It ought to be outlawed. Because it makes it, it turns the schools into hotbeds of politics when they ought to be petri dishes of education. And these teachers unions have one interest and one interest only, preserving and expanding their power and the amount of money that they collect and the children are simply a footnote at best. This is the base of their power and the kids are simply a pawn in the game. You see uh, appeals court just smacked down uh, these um, mass mandates in Texas that, that the federal government was trying to impose. Let's see if I can find that article, but, but just, just smacked it down. Yeah, here we go. Oh, and, and the court just smacked down uh, Navy SEALs. Uh, the, the, not, not the Navy SEALs, but smacked down the, um, the effort to put Navy SEALs out of the, the Navy because they refused to get the jab. These are, these are attempted violations of our constitutional rights. And here again, you got these power mad people who think, well, we like, like uh, the governor, former governor, of New, well, I guess he's still the governor of New Jersey, I think, um, said, well, the, the, I, no, I didn't consider the Constitution because that, that's above my pay grade. I mean, what a, what a, what a stupid, you know, every public official takes an oath to the Constitution. You didn't consider the Constitution? Um, the appeals court said, quote, the, the, the COVID-19 pandemic provides the government no license to abrogate freedom. Quote, Judge Reed O'Connor said the Navy service members seek to vindicate the very freedoms they have sacrificed so much to protect. There is no military exclusion from our Constitution. Man, thank God. Thank God there's some judges out there willing to stand up for the Constitution. So we've got some judges smacking the stuff down, but just the fact that, as Biden said one time about, um, oh, what was he talking about? There was another issue, it'll come to me, but, but where he said... Um, by the time it winds its way through the courts, it'll be too late. I, I know it's probably not constitutional, but by the time it winds its way to the courts, it'll be too late. The president of the United States who took an oath to uphold, preserve, protect, defend the Constitution is telling us out of his own mouth that he is intentionally flouting the Constitution because it's what he wants to do, and by the time they, can, they try to stop him through court action, it'll be too late. That's what George Washington was getting at. Sap, sap morals, no morals, no integrity. How about, I'm not, I would like to do that, but I can't do that because the Constitution prohibits me from doing that, and I took an oath to the Constitution to serve the American people. And I'm not doing something that violates that. No, oh, I can. Sure, I can do it. What's the difference? 
That's how you end up in a totalitarian state with all those, those, those compromises one after one building upon another to subvert the constitution and to do what they want to do in spite of the constitution. And before you know it, you look up one day and the constitution is a dead letter. Doesn't mean a thing. So you and I have got to vote these rascals out. These people who don't respect the Constitution, don't respect the oath they took, we don't respect them. And they don't, they don't need to be in public office. They need to be out. I could get into some other things, but I won't, because I want to get to the word. I'm, I'm trying to shorten my time. We'll see, whether I, we'll see how successful I am at that. Let's go to Colossians, shall we? We finish up at chapter 2. It's been a while since I've been back to it. But we've gotten to ch through chapters 1 and 2 of Colossians. Um, actually, I, I said chapters 1 and 2. That's not true. We finish up chapter 1, and we got to, chapter, got to verse 10 of chapter 2. So that, that yeah. I was looking forward to getting to chapter 3 because I've been reading and meditating on it uh, on my own, of course. But, I, yeah, I got to go back because I haven't finished chapter 2 yet. But where we finished was in chapter, uh, in verse 9, which says, For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. In other words, you are complete in Christ Jesus. You don't need anything added to you to make you perfect in the sight of God but except Christ Jesus. He's, he is your perfecter and your perfection. That's what that word complete. It means, it, it means the finished product. You are, you are the finished product through him and in him. Praise God. The 11th verse, let's, let's get to, to the new verse. It says, and we talked about this a little bit. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And I talked a little bit about that. I said, we... Abraham, under the old covenant, was marked with a circumcision, okay? Um, and we know what circumcision means. I won't get into the details there, but you know what that means, the cutting of the foreskin. And so that was the mark of their covenant. And notice that was a private mark because nobody else could see that. That was between the, ultimately between them and God. Everybody knew that every male had that mark, but it was ultimately between them and God because it wasn't something that was on the face or on the neck or on the hand where anybody could see it, right? So to me, it's, it's meant to suggest that our relationship with God is personal and private ultimately. Even though this was a collective covenant for the entire Jewish people, that our relationship with God is ultimately permanent and intimate. Um, but I say now as a Christian, it is not the cutting of the body. It is the cutting of the spirit. And the circumcision that is made on us is made on the inside of us. The old spirit is, is, dies. A new spirit with the, with the mark, the imprint of Almighty God, is given to us. So we are, quote, new creations in Christ Jesus. The old covenant says new creature. So you are a brand new person. 
and you are marked by the hand of Almighty God, but on the inside, not on the outside. Physical circumcision is not going to save anybody. But spiritual circumcision does, and that's what this is getting at. It says, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. In other words, you know now it's no longer about what happens in the flesh. It's about what happens in the spirit. The flesh no longer dominates the life. The spirit now dominates the life. And the flesh is now subjected to the spirit rather than the spirit being dead and the flesh doing whatever it wants to do. Now, 12th verse, buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And I talked about baptism being a sign of the burial, the death and the burial and the resurrection. Death and burial when you go down, resurrection when you come up. Now, there are lots of thoughts and ideas about baptism. First of all, let me say, baptism is not, is not necessary to salvation, but it is an act of obedience to bear witness to your salvation. We are saved by faith, by grace through faith. It is not of works. That includes the work of baptism. Yeah. And some people who don't believe that, but that's the truth. But baptism is an outward sign of the inward change. Remember, John protested when Jesus came to him for baptism. And Jesus said, suffer it to be so now because it behooves us to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, it behooves us to do everything that God has commanded us to do. And Jesus made clear that baptism was a command. Now, I would say this. A person who claims to be saved who doesn't want to be baptized calls into question that salvation because one of the first signs of true salvation is a desire to obey God. And if God says be baptized, Mark 16, believe and be baptized, that's what I want to do. Without equivocation, without hesitation, that's what I want to do. Okay. Now, there, there's also an issue with some people with regard to, well, I wasn't baptized by immersion. I was baptized by sprinkling or by pouring or whatever. And what this describes, buried with him in baptism, I would say describes immersion. So, so Bishop, what do I do about that? Well, since baptism is not absolutely necessary, let's say if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you've been baptized by a method right? The Methodist church. If there's a, if you've got, there, there was another method that was used because the Methodist church doesn't believe that baptism by immersion is necessary or is, is required or is necessarily the way Jesus was baptized. You know, your salvation is not in question. If a person accepts Christ on their deathbed and dies before they're able to be baptized, their salvation is not in question. Because we are saved by Jesus Christ alone. Not Jesus Christ and something else, but Jesus Christ alone. But if you are able, then baptism is something that you should do as an act of obedience. So now, Bishop, I grew up in another tradition. I wasn't baptized by immersion. Uh, what should I do about that? Well, let's put it this way. Since your salvation is secure, you ought to know that. Then the only question is, what do I believe? 
See, I believe the Bible is quite clear that baptism by immersion is what Jesus Christ commanded us to do. But I realize there are people who are taught differently and people who believe differently. And so they're not trying to sin against God. They're not trying to do something against God. They think they're doing the right thing. So if you're, if you're in such a church, you can't make a controversy over that when you know the church doesn't believe that. But if you come to conviction and you believe that, then you've got to get into a church where you can be immersed. Say, so, well, can't I go get my brother to do that? Well, you know, you want to do things indecently and in order, indecency and in order, right? I mean, I, I, I think that the Bible says let all things be done decently in order. I think that's 1 Corinthians 14. Let all things be done decently in order. And to me, just going out and find somebody to dunk you is not decency in order. It needs to be done by, in, in my humble opinion, it needs to be done by an ordained minister. And I could go back and teach um, Romans chapter 10, but I won't do that um, right now. But I talk about how shall they hear without a preacher. And I say that word preacher, it doesn't mean how shall they hear without anybody who proclaims. That word preacher there means how shall they hear without an authorized person to preach to them. And I say that, that and how shall they preach? And here's, the, how do we know they're authorized? How shall they preach unless they be sent? That word sent is apostolo. How shall they preach unless they are in the line of apostolic authority? Now, there are a lot of people who just think they can just get up and go preach and just do whatever they want to do because God called them and then they set themselves up to be this, that, or the other. But I tell you, that's out of order. It really is. It's out of order. That's not the way the church is supposed to operate. There's supposed to be a line of apostolic authority that places you in that role. So I would say if you come to conviction that I want to be baptized by immersion, you got some big decisions to make. And remember what I've said to you now. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've truly surrendered your life to him. Baptism doesn't, doesn't, is not needed to add, to, to make you saved. Baptism is an outward sign of your desire to be obedient to God. So you've got some decisions to make about how you're going to, if you come to a conviction that I should be baptized by immersion and I wasn't, you got some decisions to make about how you're going to get that done. And, and I don't want to get into the minutiae of, of how you would do that. What if a person approached me, you're listening right now, you say, wow, man, I, I want to do what, I want to do it God's way. I want to do whatever God told me to do. And you come to me and say, Bishop Jackson, I'm a member of XYZ Church. My church doesn't baptize by immersion, but I want to be baptized by immersion. Are you willing to baptize me by immersion? Uh, the quick answer is, I don't know. We'd have to talk. I'd have to seek the Lord's face about that because you're not really under my tutelage, discipleship, authority. Uh, I'd, I'd really have to seek God's face about that. I wouldn't rule it out because it is an act of obedience to God and I wouldn't be doing anything that is inherently unlawful, sinful, wrong, bad. The only question is whether I would in some way 
be acting outside of the requirement that we behave in decency and in order. So I didn't mean to get into all of that, but I think it's worth exploring because I meet a lot of people who have these kinds of issues, depending upon what their background is and, 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 and where they've come from. But here again, let me emphasize the most important point. You're not saved by baptism. You're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone and that not of works. So always have that in mind. So what you do, you don't do because, oh, if I don't do this, I'm not going to be saved. No, you do it because you, you come to a, a conviction, uh, pres presumably under the anointing and of the Holy Spirit, that this is something God wants you to do. And then you trust God to show you how to do it. But you don't do it because, well, I'm not saved unless I do this. If you've made your commitment, surrender to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, your confession that he died on the cross for your sins, that he, his body was buried, that he rose on the third day with all power and authority in his hands, if you believe that and you've accepted that and you confess that and you've surrendered to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, you are saved, period. So I just don't want you to get hung up about that. Oh, I'm not really saved because I'm not baptized the way Bishop said, you know, the Bible really teaches we're supposed to be baptized. Don't, don't, go, don't do that. That's wrong. And I'd be wrong to teach you that. And some people do teach that. Some some hyper uh, Pentecostals teach if you're not buried with the if you're not buried, if you're not baptized with the words in the name of Jesus, according to Acts 238, you're not saved. I mean, that's bogus. It's just wrong, bad, terrible teaching. Now we baptize in my church in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit, according to Matthew 29, 18 and 20, 20 uh, Matthew 29, Matthew 28 verses 19 and 20, I think I should say. Um, but if a person is baptized by immersion and they're baptized in the name of Jesus, I'm not going to say, well, that baptism was not valid and you're not saved. Because first of all, baptism doesn't save you anyway. So I don't get into controversies with people over this and want to argue and fuss and fight and divide over it. And I'm not, want, I'm not suggesting you do that either. But since it mentions baptism in this text, I guess the Holy Spirit had me expound on this so that you could perhaps get a better understanding of exactly what baptism means and what it doesn't mean. Okay. I'll tell you as a result, what I wouldn't do, say somebody's on their deathbed and they're about to die and they say, but I want to be baptized. Uh, I, but I, I said, well, that's wonderful that you want to be baptized. Will you sprinkle me? Will you pour me? My answer would be, no, you don't need it. You're saved. You're saved and your desire and willingness to be baptized. God accounts that for righteousness. So, no, I'm not I'm not going to compromise what baptism is because you're in a, a, a difficult, desperate situation and do something that I believe is not consistent with Scripture, because to me to do that would be to suggest that without this, somehow you're not you're not complete. The Bible says you are complete in him. Just read it. You are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. All right. So 12th verse says you're buried with him in baptism 
in which you were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. 13th verse. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Now, let me stop there before I get into what he did to principalities and powers. First of all, all of your trespasses have been forgiven. All of them. By the way, past, present, and future. Look, if Jesus Christ's death on the cross and your acceptance of him did not pay the price for any sins you will commit in the future, then you, you're not saved. Because what that would suggest is, you know, that old thing that, well, if you just commit sin and you step out on the street and get hit by a bus, you're going to hell. No. No. If you are saved and you commit sin, and the Bible has several words for committing sin, missing the mark, disobedience. And they could, they're sins of thought, word, and deed, right? Jesus said, you look on a woman desiring your heart, you've committed adultery already. That's a, that's a sin of thought. Let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth. That's a sin of word. And then, of course, doing things that you know God has commanded you not to do. That's a sin of deed. They're all sins. So you have a sinful thought and then you had die of a heart attack, God forbid. You're, what, you're on your way to hell? Of course not. Look, the salvation that Jesus Christ provides you is complete. So, well, Bishop, don't I have to repent first to be forgiven? No. The moment you accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you were forgiven. Now, the Bible says in, in 1 John chapter 1, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, that's a process of keeping our minds and hearts, the soul heart, keeping our minds and hearts, our conscience is clear before God. That's, that's why we do that. We don't, we don't do that to, to I got to stay saved, as people say. You'd be trying to get stay saved every day because probably every day we do we commit some infraction. We hope they're minor if, if but, you know, sins of thought, word or deed. I mean, that's possible to have a, 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 a sinful thought, say something wrong. Do something wrong every day. Now, here again, we as Christians are not practicing sin. We're not looking to sin. We don't want to sin. But we do. Because we're still imperfect. Jesus Christ paid it all. You know, we sing that song, Jesus paid it all. Well, all means all. All to him I owe sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. So you've been made alive together with him. And you know, if, if, if every sin, if every sin invalidated your status in him, you'd be alive now and then dead as soon as you make you, you, you sin or make any kind of, of spiritual mistake or say, say or do something wrong. You, boom, now you're dead. 
well, Jesus got to raise you, got to bring you back to life again. No, no. You've been made alive. You're alive. That's why your sins convict you. That's why your sins leave you with regret because you don't want to sin anymore. The real you, the new you down on the inside rejects sin, has renounced sin. And when your flesh, your, your mind, your will, your emotions get the best of your spirit man and you sin, you can't, you're not, well, you're not comfortable with that. Because you're alive on the inside. Now notice this, having forgiven you all trespasses, and here's the, the, the next thing, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. In other words, everything recorded that you've sinned, everything that records your sins, everything that records your violations of the law has been wiped out. Wiped out. You know how in court, I've got to go, but sometimes courts do things that they call expunging the record, which is different from sealing the record. Sealing the record means that people can't get to it except with a special court dispensation. But expunging the record means the record is gone. It's removed like it never happened. That's what God says. He, he wipes out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. And that handwriting of requirements means he wipes out all the judgments that show our sin. All wiped out. So you've got a clean slate before him. So which was contrary to us. In other words, which was against us, which was condemning us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. That's where your sins were dealt with on that cross. On that cross, when Jesus was paying the awesome union price for every wrong thing you've ever done. Now, we know that physically our sins, too many of them weren't nailed to the cross, but I've described it this way, and I've really got to go, but I've described it this way. Jesus was on the cross and all the sins of mankind, past, present, and future. And that, think about that, the cross represents the, 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 the bar, the past, the future, the vertical bar, the present. All of it came together like a, like, like, like a triple tsunami, the explosion of the present, the, the crushing weight of past sins, of future sins, all coming together and exploding in him. He absorbed it and died with it and went down into hell under the crushing weight of all of that and unloaded it like a garment. Came, out of the, came up out of, that, out, of the, out of hell and out of the grave, completely and totally cleansed. Uh, a man dead in our sin, not dead in his own sin because he had no sin, a man dead in our sins, goes into hell, sheds the sin 
and comes up God declared by the Father to be God. I got to go. God bless you. I love you. I'm praying for you. And remember, we cannot be defeated if we will not quit because we are on God's